Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In this week's programme, can the Black Cabs break their 26-year test drought in Australia? Cycling Olympic double medalist Hayden Ralston laments the selection policy for the London Games. Katrina Grant looks forward to her return to the international netball stage. And we talk to the legendary speedway rider Barry Briggs, who's back in the country for the Burt Munro Challenge in Invercargill. It's 26 years since the New Zealand cricket side last won a test in Australia, but much is being made of the Australians' perceived vulnerability ahead of their two-test series against the Black Caps, which starts in Brisbane on Thursday. Australia's won just two tests in the past year, and while they're coming off a drawn series against South Africa, they were routed for their lowest test score in 109 years, just 47 in the first test. So, they may well be vulnerable, but are the Black Caps up to taking advantage of it? I put that question to former Black Caps coach David Trist. Well, it's a great opportunity for them, and, and Ross Taylor taking uh, the New Zealand side over for the first uh, time. Uh, the the uh, New Zealand team is still relatively inexperienced, though, uh, especially in the bowling department, and uh, they've got to be right up there knowing that they can compete and feeling that a victory is possible. And that's, I think, one of the most important things that can come out of this uh, tour is belief in their capabilities to win test matches and especially against Australia at home. Do you perceive any vulnerability amongst the Australians? Uh, well, there, there's a lot of young players coming in, uh, staking their claim. And in fact, uh, the, the results have shown that uh, when you're first joining test cricket, getting consistency is one of the big issues. So uh, the inconsistency of some of the players does open up opportunities for the New Zealanders to take advantage of it. Uh, Brisbane, of course, uh, had that wonderful test match that few, uh, listeners will uh, remember with Richard Hadley. Um, maybe somebody can do it again. But uh, it's going to be a hard ask because uh, successful, yes, in Zimbabwe, but questions still being asked and not really answered about the consistency of the New Zealand side, and that's what you would like to see develop with this short tour, and it's an opportunity for many young players to stake their claim uh, for the future. And education too, no doubt, for, for many of them going into that environment in Australia. Yeah, well, Australia is uh, probably the, the toughest side to, to play because historically they are extremely confident at home, they're very efficient at home, they've got a very good record, and, and they tend to get right into your face. So it's important that each player knows his game, knows his role, and feels confident within himself to compete. Is the Black Caps bowling attack capable of bowling Australia out to us? Uh, well, it depends on conditions. Uh, Brisbane can swing a, swing a little bit. Um, it, would, it would suggest that they'd have to be right up there, uh, pick up uh, early wickets with um, good fielding support, 
and uh, the Tories' role, which has been very significant in the past, probably not going to be so useful uh, in terms of winning the match as perhaps one or two other venues. The feeling then would be that while Australia are obviously not the, the side they once were, New Zealand for, to, to win, uh, everything is still going to have to go very much very right for them. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's no doubt about that. Um, they've got to be at the top of their game. They've come out of Zimbabwe, so therefore they have actually had two test matches uh, un- under their belt. Uh, but it's a different uh, ball game entirely, uh, playing Australia in Australia. Australia equally have uh, had uh, a change of the guard. Ricky Ponting no longer captain. Michael Clark taking over and having a, a say on the selection panel has raised uh, a few hackles and-, and probably question marks. But uh, it's certainly... Uh, would would expect that the bookies were offering odds to see Australia pretty warm favourites. Australia too, coming off that that series against South Africa, they 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 managed to draw that. But that first test, they were humbled in that in that innings, their lowest test score in 109 years, out for 47. Yeah, well. But then they bounced back and, and won that second test. What what does that tell us, if anything? Well, it tells you that they don't like getting beaten and are tenacious and they did bounce back and that's typical of what you'd expect from an Australian cricket side. Ricky Ponting, is his time up? Uh, well, he's got such an imposing record, averaged over 50, made a huge impact uh, on uh, the Australian scene for so many years, controlled the likes of Shane Warne and others uh, pretty well. And uh, you always want to, uh, you know, look at what what he does in the field. He, he's always thinking as a captain. He's no longer that. Uh, the, the the runs have eluded him in the uh, latter part of his uh, uh, career, i.e. the last sort of 12 months, uh, probably drawing to a close with a new captain. Um, hopefully he will find the right time to exit and uh, not have the uh, ignominy, so to speak, of, of being dropped. 26 years since New Zealand's last win there. Can can you see that changing? I'd like to think it could. Um, there's always a chance uh, some one or two players will have to play exceptionally well. In the batting department, they have that uh, possibility. Whether they can bowl uh, the Australian side out twice on, on a pitch that probably will play pretty well uh, is, is really the big question mark. Brendan McCullum presumably needs to... And Dan Vittori too, I suppose... They must look at this in their career, never having won a test against Australia, that a chance for them to to use this series as something that they might look back on later in their careers? Well, it would be fantastic if they could achieve that. I mean, McCullum remains mercurial. He, he's, he's just simply stunning to watch. And when he gets on a roll with the bat, he's extremely hard to contain. He's been a wonderful player from a New Zealand point of view. And we all know what the Tory... Uh, has done and is is hoping to continue to do so they would be the leaders but don't forget Ross Taylor very capable uh, is captaining the side and it'll be interesting to see whether his batting uh, lifts uh, to another notch uh, with the responsibility of uh, the captaincy which I'm sure he'll do very well and Jesse Ryder hopefully fit, capable uh, and you've got uh, one or two other younger players uh, who are certainly going to benefit from the experience, but Guptill, who had the experience being overseas, um, I think playing um, for Gloucestershire uh, under John Bracewell's uh, tutelage uh, during the 
winter break uh, has also been getting a lot of runs. So there's, a, there's, there's um, good signs there, and it'll be an interesting series. It always is against the Australians, but we've got to really be playing exceptionally well, I think, to win that series. You mentioned Ross Taylor there. Much is going to rest on him, isn't it? Because the Australians make no secret of targeting the opposition skipper. Yeah, I think Ross Taylor has to bat time. He has to take uh, know his game pretty well, which he does, and select very, very uh, tightly so that they bat around him. You've got Jesse Ryder who plays uh, and has a great eye hand. Uh, you've got McCullum who just takes the game to the opposition up front. And Guptill, who uh, I think is extremely uh, promising and, and a joy to watch, really, but you never quite know uh, when he's going to build those big scores that uh, will uh, improve his dominance at the international level. So Ross Taylor, I think, has a key role in the batting department, uh, and it'll be very interesting to see whether, against the Australian bowlers, who are a little bit inexperienced, uh, if he can take toll, because he's played a lot of test cricket now, he's got a good uh, record, and uh, here's the opportunity, as you have just mentioned, uh, for the likes of McCullum, Vittori and himself to show the Australians that uh, New Zealand is always a thorn in the side of an Australian team who expects to win the test match and expect to win it comfortably. That's the former New Zealand cricket coach David Trist and his thoughts on the two test series against Australia, which starts in Brisbane next week. The second test is in Tasmania. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. The double Olympic cycling medalist Hayden Ralston has labelled Bike New Zealand's Olympic selection policy inflexible after he was forced to withdraw from the Olympic track cycling programme. Ralston, who won a silver and a bronze medal at the Beijing Olympics, says he's bitterly disappointed by the decision as despite negotiating concessions from his new Radio Shack Nissan Trek professional team to allow him to ride at the London Games, he's unable to meet Bike New Zealand's selection criteria. He told Murray Williams there's only a slim chance that he could compete in the road race at the Olympic Games. We'll just play it by ear and just see how it goes. I mean, it's, we're, we're going to have limited spots on the road, so... Um, but definitely I'll, uh, you know, have a, try and have a, as good a crack as I can to, to get to the Games. Is there no chance that you could, uh, uh, I guess, appeal the, the selection criteria to get some sort of concessions from Bike NZ in the way you've managed to get from your road team? I'm really not sure. I think, uh, you know, honestly, I, I, I don't, I'm not that kind of person that would go down the, that, the legal pathway to, to, to be selected. You know, I sort of would want to be in there on my own own right and through, you know, performances or, or what I can bring to the team. So, you know, for me to go down the legal path it would just it would sort of go against who I am as a person you know does the decision that bike NZ made effectively rule out mean that you just have to make you or anybody else just has to make a decision track and road can't do both anymore because other people seem to have been able to do that in the past yeah well um it, just, it all comes down to selection policy that they've got uh, the legal document that bike NZ have got and um, you know it states quite clearly clearly in there that uh, I have to do certain events and um, even though I, I knew of the selection policy before I signed pro, um, there was still the indication to me that the pathway it was still possible to, to go to the Olympics, um, but it was a matter of just working through you know, the best way to get there. But um, then, then, I, then, then I was just told that uh, you know, the chances are, of going are, are, are very minute.
How many of those events clash with your with your road commitments, and there was no way around to avoid any of those clashes at all? Uh, there was uh, the Beijing World Cup in the uh, middle of January. Um, it's been such a long season for me, so I've, I need to have a break now, uh, mentally as well as physically. Um, so I would be in no shape to, to go to that event, um, and that would possibly clash with the the build-up for Tour Down Under as well in Australia. So that's one event. And then the um, I, I was available for the February World Cup in London to go and see the track, which was uh, something I negotiated with my team. Um, so I was available for that one, but then I wasn't available for the World Championships. Uh, and that, that's a big big one in the selection policy. And um, it's just unfortunate that, you know, there's not no flexibility within that policy for me to get to the Games. There's no hard feelings then as far as Bike New Zealand and its policy is concerned other than regret that you that they couldn't make it more flexible for you? I'm just disappointed that there isn't flexibility within that policy. Um, you know, I just it's all I've ever dreamed about is that Olympic gold medal and um, it's definitely, you know, something that was achievable on the track versus the road. Uh, the road's a totally different uh, kettle of fish, but um, yeah, it's just, I'm just gutted to be honest. As far as the road goes, I mean, have you you still got uh, ambitions as far as the the big tours, you know, the Tour de France, the Giro, and that sort of thing are concerned? Yes, um, you know, we'll have to see how the season goes. Uh, I've got a training camp in um, ten days' time in Spain, where you know I'll sit down with Johan Brunel and the and the directors from Radio Shack Nissan, and and we'll we'll go over the the program. And you know, it's been pretty well publicised that I'm I'm not going to be riding the track now, so they know that that time of asked to have off uh, won't be needed, which means um, that I will be, you know, definitely, you know, I mean, it'd be wrong not to start start thinking about the Tour de France, but, um, you know, it'd be a dream come true again if I, if I could do that with the, with the line-up that, that Radio Shack will have in the Tour. That's cyclist Hayden Ralston talking to Murray Williams. Back from injury after missing the recent three tests against Australia, the New Zealand defender Katrina Grant says her spell away from the game has made her realise just how big a part of her life the sport is. Grant is a member of the New Zealand Fastnet side, which is chasing its third straight world title in Liverpool this weekend. Fastnet is a shorter format netball game with rolling subs and double points. Grant suffered a stress fracture in her foot while holidaying in Europe after July's world champs in Singapore. It was her third such injury in the space of four years. Barry Guy spoke to her about what this latest tournament means for her. The injury is sweet. It's uh, all healed and I'm ready to go. But it was quite interesting. My first training back was uh, a tough one. It reminded me exactly what Elite Netball was all about. But um, I feel like I'm back in the groove of things and hopefully it'll all be, uh, all be good from here on in. Is it just a matter of sort of match play no, to get no. you back up to 100% again? Exactly, exactly. That's just pretty much what I'm missing now. I've a match play trying to remember how to catch, pass and defend an attacker, so I'm just quite excited to get started. Has the time off been valuable in some way of, uh, you know, looking, addressing perhaps, um, you know, how you want to play the game and the likes? Oh, absolutely. Um, having time off always gives you, um, always makes you kind of reflect on what has happened, what, what you want to happen, how you want to play the game in the future, and it kind of made me realise how much I do love playing the game, and how much I miss just the group of people that I play with as well. So it's um yeah, it was it was a great break and it let me have some time with my family but it also made me really want to come back to Netball and hungry for more and yeah, I just want to keep playing it for as long as I can. And so what do you expect? What involvement do you expect this weekend? I, I can't imagine you'll be thrust in and playing every minute of every game. 
No, exactly. I won't play every minute every game. You know, it's not really part of my rehab program. Plus, there's a lot of great players here. And, um, you know, I've pretty much got to earn my spot back into the team, which um, I'll be fighting hard for. But, no, we have a few, quite a few games in, in a short amount of time. So everyone will get pretty much um, the same amount of court time I'm expecting. So that's good for you, obviously. Oh, absolutely. It's the perfect way to come back from injury. You can't really ask for more. Only six-minute quarters. And I'm um, having a really strong team and a fun team around me. So, it's, yeah, it's definitely the perfect uh, circumstance for me. And this shorter version of the game, is it tougher in any way as a defender? Oh, definitely. When we had our practice game tonight, it is quite tough for the defence, especially if you're uh, if you're up on a team, as we would turn over the ball and our shooters would score, but then it's the opposition seem to pass again. So... If, if we're on top, the the ball just keeps coming back and back and back down the defensive end on the centre pass. So, yeah, if you're a wing defence, goal defence and centre, you seem to do quite a bit of work. Uh, so there's no time sort of, uh, well, not relax, but sort of take a breather in any way? No, not at all. Not at all. So, it, um, you know, it makes the game a bit more fun, a bit more challenging, but being only six minutes, you should be able to put as much as you can out on the court. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty much the perfect amount of time to do what you need to do. And also there's the, the, the wider shooting, so therefore that's the, the wider defensive area that you've got to cover too, I imagine. Exactly. You've got to try and, um, you know, we listen to our attackers and see what their strategies are and try and combat that at training. So when we get into a game, we kind of hopefully know what we're going to do and what, what might happen um, against us. So it is really good to have shooters on our own team so we know exactly what to expect, but... You know, with um, the Caribbean teams in Australia, you just never know what they're going to pull out of the bag. Is this treated lighter in any way? Um, I suppose it's, like, we don't exactly have the build-up like we do with Commonwealth Games and a World Champ. So in that respect, it definitely is seen as, uh, you know, a little bit lighter. But, you know, we're not here to lose. We definitely want to win any competition, any game we play. We want to win. So, yeah, I want that, I want that medal. <laughs> I want that trophy. And what, Australia the one to beat again or is it a bit different in this form of the game? To be honest, I've got no idea. Australia are always tough and always going to be such a strong team and the ones to beat and you know how much New Zealanders love to beat the Aussies but the English uh, have a lot more practice at this type of the game as they play it in their country a lot more than what we do and also Jamaica can never underestimate them either so you know, it's going to be, it'll be tough, it will be tough indeed. That's New Zealand netballer Katrina Grant talking to Barry Guide. And New Zealand's first couple of games at the Fastnet Tournament are in the early hours of Saturday morning against South Africa and England. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. He's raced at Wembley and Madison Square Gardens, but the four-time World Speedway champion Barry Briggs is in Invercargill this week along with another great, Ivan Major, to take part in the Burt Munro Challenge. Briggs, who's now 77, concedes it's a while since he's raced competitively and it's taking some adjusting to, particularly the conditions given that he now lives in California. Briggs was in the country earlier this year when he was asked if he'd return to take part in the event, and Briggs says having known Munro, the New Zealand racer famous for setting a land speed record on the salt plains at Bonneville in the United States in 1967, he couldn't say no. I ride my motocross bike and the Enduro bike in the mountains and that, but when I decided to do this, I did quite a, quite a bit more practice, but it's not the same as you know actually going to the track to race. And how have you found it getting back on the bike? 
Yeah, it, well, up, up till today it was, it's been great, but we come here this morning and on the long track and we've had so much rain and it was raining and the, the track was very patchy. It wasn't technical as much as what it was. Um, brute strength, you know, at my age, I ain't got a lot of that brute strength left. So it was a little bit difficult to start with, but I changed a few things and went out in the end and uh, it, it was much better. You, you've had a pretty colourful life, haven't you? I mean, how have you ended up based in California? Well, we, we used to come through California, Ivan and me, and then we, we basically started Speedway in California. We did meetings and we took teams there, and um, I like I liked the place, and it was halfway between halfway between New Zealand and England, so yeah, it was, it was nice. The weather's nice, so that's really how I come to them. You knew Bert Munro. What? What sort of connection did you have with him? Well, I, I met him here before he went to America. And he took me down the beach and uh, showed me his, his old bike. And when I got down the beach, he had a dad's army tin helmet, an army helmet. And I said, you can't bloody use that. And um, finished up giving him a bell helmet and had a, had a good laugh. And in the film, you know, he's living in his workshop, and that's exactly what it was. And, you know, he he was a die-in-the-wool motorcyclist. When you encountered him, what sort of chance did you give him of, of breaking those records that he that he went on to break? Not a lot. <laughs> he, he had uh, a very sparse workshop. Bert was a charming man, and I think a lot of the people in Invercargill did lots of favours for him. And you know, he he must have had the knowledge to to get something doing 200 mile an hour. That's fast for an engine, no matter where. And some of the biggest workshops in the world can do it. So. Yeah, it was an amazing achievement. Now, what did you all get up to in California? I've read that you gave motorbike lessons to Steve McQueen. Is that right? Yeah. yeah um, I bought my house in California, fellow called Bruce Brown, who made the film on any, on any Sunday. And McQueen partly financed that. So we all went out one day and riding on the speedway bike, and Steve fell off a few times, so... If the film shoot out, I know they wouldn't have been very happy. Bruce went to McQueen because he was a motorcyclist, and McQueen said, well, I'm an actor, not a financier, but then he, he got involved in the in Only Sunday, and it, it grossed a lot of money, so he never lost out. Do you have much involvement, about apart from riding your, your motocross bike a bit, back in California, do you have any involvement in in racing yeah, at all? I, 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 make, I make some of the spare parts for for the speedway bikes which are used all over the world so I've got to spend a few you know a few months of the year back there sorting that out but otherwise you know I go to some of the Grand Prix and, yeah, I've still got a healthy interest in it but I'm not there all the time What, what do you make about the, the profile of it I mean is it as big as what it was when you were in your heyday Oh no you know speedway in the 50s and 60s was really big time it's it's found a level now, but they the Grand Prix now, which is I am owned by IMG, and uh, you know that they draw big really big crowds, and it, it's exciting entertainment even if you're not really interested in, in speedway. Do you think people understand nowadays as to, to the level of interest that there was in it over over the 50s and the 60s? No, probably not. People people in New Zealand would have no idea because. We had three fellows come from Christchurch that won a lot of world championships, but between them, they thought everybody that went to England could be world champion. But 
you know, the Iron Curtain countries, Poland, Czechoslovakia and Russia, that threw a lot of money at it. And, they, you know, they, they they had one pole in the world final. So, you know, it, it, it's, nobody really knows in New Zealand what, what, what it was, I don't think, unless they went to Wembley when there's, you know, 90,000 people there and they would realise it's a pretty big sport. Because you guys were the superstars of your day, weren't you? Yeah, we did well on the day. I'm going to say, in two years in England, I was second in the BBC Sportsman of the Year, and that was World Cup year when England won the World Football World Cup. Bobby Moore won it, I second, and Jeff Hurst, who scored the hat trick in the final, was third. So it gives you a little idea where Speedway was, you know. What was life like for you there with, with that? I mean, there you mentioned there that you were. And up there with the, with the likes of that English Football World Cup winning team, what what did life then mean or entail for you? You must have been able to not go to many places without being recognised. Your, your whole no, strange thing is, I must have a funny face. People people still recognise because you know Speedway is on television a lot there, and in those days there was only two television programmes. You know, so you know you, with Speedway being on television, that's how you you kind of know and. Then, if it's on television, people think it's, you know, big time, so... Well, Barry, what what are you looking forward to the most about this weekend? <laughs> Just some sunshine, which we've got at the moment, and, I, and I'm riding all the different types of bikes, so that, that's really interesting to me, you know. What do you enjoy riding the most these days? Um, I enjoy the road racing at the moment because it's, it's a different challenge to me. And what about the power level of the, the bikes. Do, do they take, are they harder or are they easier to ride? Oh, the, the, the Speedway bikes have got a lot of horsepower now. A little bit easier in some ways, but harder in other ones. But, you know, the road racing thing, I haven't road raced for so many years and, you know, that, that's a bit of a thrill because, you know, you, it's something different. And at my age, you know, you should have learned everything, but I haven't learned everything. <laughs> I was talking to the legendary New Zealand Speedway rider, Barry Briggs. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. If you have any feedback, you can email us at sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.